0: Chapter eleven of the Story of a Modern Woman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of a Modern Woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. Chapter eleven. The Woman Waits Sapriestie so, cried Alison, he's come back, you say. I think I shall insist on the marriage coming off at once. No, you won't, answered Mary, reddening, because we've got to earn enough between us to set up house. "'What a pity,' rejoined the other girl. "'I'm in the vein for weddings. "'I had an interview yesterday with Evelina's baby's papa. "'Don't stare, you idiot. "'I've been arranging a match.' "'It was a sultry day at the end of July, "'and the two girls sat in the dingy lodgings in Bolstrode Street. Vincent Hemming had telegraphed from Liverpool. "'He was to be in London that afternoon. "'Allison, you don't mean to say you?' "'Certainly. "'I found the young man open to reason.' especially when he comprehended that I might be likely to give Evelina a small dot, though it took some time to overcome his moral scruples. His moral scruples, ejaculated Mary. My dear, you must know that the average man is, in theory, enamored of virtue, but in practice his devotion usually takes the form of insisting on that of his female belongings. A vicarious offering to the gods, said Mary, which is to be hoped is sometimes efficacious it's astonishing said the older elder girl thoughtfully what a lot of human nature one sees down there in whitechapel more i dare say than in mayfair the wedding observed allison will come off in the autumn i shall give the bride away you may come and look on if you like poor little evelina said mary abstractedly poor laughed allison what do you think she asked for when i told her she might choose a wedding present a white silk dress she knew she said where she could get one second-hand, for twelve and sixpence, but what she held out foremost was a white tulle veil and a wreath of orange blossoms. "'The veil and the orange blossoms are quite pathetic,' murmured Mary, getting up and pushing the window wide open. There was a long silence, during which a large bumblebee swayed in and buzzed ponderously round the little room. "'You ought now,' said Allison, jumping up, "'to be getting into your most becoming dress, "'and a proper frame of mind in which to receive so estimable a young man. "'Oh, don't go. It's so dreadful to wait all alone. He can't be in London till four o'clock, so I don't imagine I shall see him till six or seven, or perhaps not till after dinner. Ah, said Alison Ives thoughtfully, then you had better come with me. I'm going to take a lot of poor girls over to the National Gallery at three o'clock. Oh, I can't. It's too far, and he might come while I was out. And considering, laughed Alison, that you intend spending the rest of your natural existence with Mr. Hemming, that would be nothing short of a calamity. "'You are an unsympathetic demon, and you can be off to your East End young woman,' said Mary sternly. "Pooh!" cried Allison calmly. "'I shall stay till the last moment, and give you the benefit of my mature advice.' "'It's wonderful,' she added, snatching up her big Gainsborough hat and putting it on at an extraordinary angle. "'How kind I am to young people! I believe I've been making a mistake all this time. "'I ought to have been the mother of six boys, for heaven forbid that I should bring another woman into the world.' "'You would have been bored to death with them,' said Mary. "'Nonsense. Depend on it. "'I should have been a pattern parent. "'All we people make the mistake of doing everything more or less badly. "'Here are you,' she continued, taking up, with an impatient gesture, "'a small bound book in red calico, which is lying on the table, "'reading a nine-penny translation of Epictetus. "'When I'll be bound, you can't make a pudding properly without catching it, "'or whatever the cook calls it. "'I know I can't, but it's eccentric, to say the least of it,' rejoined Mary, "'for a young woman like you to want to make puddings at all.' "'I suppose it is an affectation,' said Alison, candidly, "'fastening her velvet strings firmly with a diamond scorpion. "'But it's so much more assuming than going to balls. "'Oh, those old club hacks we go out to exercise their livers, "'and the boys who dance till they stream with perspiration "'because they want to make acquaintances in society.' it's doubtfully alluring the london ball of today, assented mary but why go i don't said allison it's what i remember out of the dim past well good-bye i'm off to explain mantegna to my girls i only hope they won't all come in ostrich feathers your most becoming gown remember and your most angelic manners please this is the supreme moment remember after she had gone she put her head in at the door to say that baby of evelina's makes my joy You never saw such a dumpling, and it doesn't cry now. I have it to spend the day at the flat, and it crawls all over me, and sticks its little fat fists in my eye. When the street door had finally closed, Mary felt horribly restless. After much inward debate, she put on her hat and went out. Secretly, she would have liked to go to Euston to meet her lover, but he had said nothing about it, and she she thought it best to wait. So she walked to the Regent's Park, and there— in the trim flower garden, where the avenue of chestnuts was making long shadows on the neatly swept paths, Mary sat down and waited. It was high midsummer now. There was a velvety smoothness on the trim lawns. The green light filtered through a canopy of broad chestnut leaves, and the beds were odorous with heliotrope, purple with pansies, and aglow with geraniums. Half past four now. Perhaps the train was thundering into Euston Station. Vincent Hemming was coming, getting out of his compartment, collecting his manifold baggage, hailing a cab london was the richer for one important person london contained her lover the people who haunt the parks on fine afternoons were there as usual but to-day they seized her imagination there was a young woman with restless eyes and a hard mouth keeping a rendezvous with a lover who had not yet appeared a nurse or two with a swarm of children from the surrounding georgian terraces racing and squealing and looking like white rabbits with their pink noses and creamy boots while erect and military the figure of a park-keeper in his gilt buttons and his peaked cap gave an official air to the trim paths yes he was driving now to his chambers in the temple passing actually rolling on london streets in a london cab not so very far from where she sat it seemed incredible and yet it was true the only drawback to her happiness was jimmy for her brother was back for the holidays and being as yet unaware of the understanding between them he would be sure to insist on being there when vincent came mary could not picture the scene with a third person over yonder was the girl with the hard mouth still pacing up and down alone mary felt drawn towards her she would like to have gone up and said something kind if that tawdry-looking girl could write down her story thought mary as she passed her we should have another masterpiece it is because they suffer so that women have written supremely good fiction everything to-day "'seemed imprinted on her brain, "'the delicate arrangement of mauves and lilacs "'in the distant flower-beds, "'the foolish faces of the nurses "'bent over a penny novelette "'as they pushed forward their perambulators, "'But above all, "'the figure of the girl with a hard mouth, "'who was still looking from right to left "'for someone who did not appear. "'She had sat down on a green bench opposite, "'her shabby boots stuck hopelessly out, "'her hair was untidy, "'in her hat was a dirty pink bow. "'Her dark-stuffed gown was frayed at the edge.' The woman in her was dead. She was past the stage of caring about her appearance. Poor girl, thought Mary. She was waiting, too, for her lover. But he will not come today. She didn't expect it, really, when she came out. No, he had not come. And there was something in her blank eyes, eyes which seemed to look into an abyss, but suggested the thought that in all human probability he never would. By and by, the nurses began to put their tatting and gather their chattering, swooping broods together. Perambulators were pushed forward on the creaking gravel, and little white boots and gaiters were seen trotting in the direction of the shining column terraces. A clock on a neighboring church struck five. And now, suddenly, Mary began to hurry. It was five o'clock! If the express had been punctual, Vincent might be at his chambers by this. Supposing he came and she were out! Her heart thumping at the thought, she walked rapidly through the gates. She wanted to buy some flowers, too—lots of flowers—to disguise the terrible ugliness of those lodgings. At a florist, she bought an armful of roses peonies and tiger lilies and then she almost ran home to Bulstrode street there were the flowers to arrange and she would like to change her gown vincent didn't like black she remembered she would wear the little gray dress she had just made and fasten some roses in her belt at home in the drawing-room e- the, drawing room, the d- interior in which she was so soon to receive her lover was not enticing the teacups common thick-lipped earthenware were laid out on a battered tin tray a small glass jug contained a bluish-white fluid, and a moulded glass basin was half filled with dubious-looking lumps of sugar. And to complete the picture, Jimmy had apparently taken a seat for the afternoon at the table, and only raised his head from a novel to clamour for his tea. Presently, dear, presently, said Mary, hastily filling all the available bowls and vases with flowers. What could she do with the boy, she wondered, as she ran into her bedroom, put on the gray gown, and pinned some roses at her waist? I say, dearest, said Jimmy, banging at the door. "'Aren't we ever going to have tea, or are you waiting for old Heming?' "'Oh, no,' said Mary faintly, still pondering what she could do with her younger brother. "'Tell them to bring up the tea.' "'It was past six now. He probably would come after dinner. "'That would be very nice. They would have a beautiful long evening. "'The rooms, too, did not look quite so dreadful at night.' "'She had brought a small copper lamp with a rose-colored shade "'in expectation of Vincent's arrival, "'so that those dreadful milky glass gas globes would not have to be lighted. "'And then she had an idea.' It was an extravagance, which she would not have permitted herself. But then, "'Jimmy!' she called out as she stood at the looking-glass, her hands trembling as she tried to fasten the overblown roses at her waist, while one by one the petals fell away and left a bare stalk. "'Yes, dearest? Would you like, for a treat, to go to the theatre tonight? There's that piece still at Drury Lane with the real railway engine in it, and you might go with Smith Major, you know?' She opened a drawer and took out her purse. There were ten shillings left out of her last check. Four shillings had been spent on flowers, but there was enough still to send the two boys to the theater. Here's six shillings, and mind you're back at half-past eleven. And Jimmy was nothing loth. He insisted, however, on having fried eggs and bacon with his tea, and Mary resolved, when the sitting room was finally saturated with the odor of fried fat, that she would say she was not at home if Vincent called. But at last the room was aired and the house quiet again jimmy had finally disappeared the twilight of a summer evening settled in the dingy room mary paced the floor after crowding all her flowers onto the center table and opening the two windows wide to let in the sultry evening air when she neared the window she listened intently for the sound of cab wheels or for that of oncoming footsteps yes there were footsteps footsteps coming to the door there was an agitated ring of the bell and someone hurrying up the stairs Mary got up from her chair and stood with tightly clasped hands, looking vaguely down at the faded true lovers knots, which meandered with foolish reiteration over the carpet. The door opened. It was Jimmy. Oh, I say, dearest, I quite forgot the six shillings you gave me. Where can I have left them? And then a hunt began for the missing money. Presently it was found, and Jimmy had gone for the evening. It was very hot, stuffy with the damp, vitiated air of a London night verging in August. Few people passed. "'Bolstrode Street is a quiet thoroughfare. "'Once, about eight o'clock, cab wheels were audible, "'and then Mary shrank into the furthest corner of the room, "'clasping her little hands tight "'and listening for the sound of the doorbell "'and that well-known step on the stair. "'But neither came. "'The cab drove on, having emptied its fare two doors off. "'It was nine o'clock now. "'I am so lonely, so tired,' thought the girl. "'I wish he would come. "'I want to talk to someone who cares for me, "'to get my little share of happiness.' I am so tired of drawing the discobolus, of writing for the fan. I wonder if any man alive really knows how dreadful it is to be a woman, and to have to sit down and fold your hands and wait. Half past nine now. Still, he might come. He would have dined at his club in all probability, and he would come on after exchanging gossip with the men he would meet. Mary lighted the copper lamp now and placed the pink shade over it. How pretty the flowers looked. Only the roses at her belt were faded. Going to the next room, she pinned in a fresh bunch. A quarter to ten? He would hardly come now. He always had a nice eye to the proprieties. But his cap might have broken down. He might have been detained at the club. The march up and down the rooms continued. Mary never knew how much she walked that night. The long, empty hours seemed interminable. But at last, in the still, sultry air, she could hear Big Ben strike eleven. Oh, eleven! Then it was all over. She might as well take off the pretty gray dress, unpin the bunch of roses. At half-past eleven, Jimmy returned, full of delights of the play. Oh, I say, dearest, are you sitting up? I'm so jolly hungry, darling. Can't you get me something to eat? It was sweet and dear of you to send me the theater. But, I say, where's old Hemming? Hasn't he been? I haven't seen anything of him, said Mary. I suppose he was too tired to come tonight and though she went to bed soon after she lay with her eyes wide open until the gray dawn began to creep in behind the dingy white blind oddly enough, the face of the girl she had seen in the regent's park rose up again and again and yet what had they in common chapter eleven